Welcome back to Thinking About It, and I'm Bob McGregor. And I'm Stan Fowler. And we hope by now you've got to know us a little bit. It's not like we're introducing ourselves for the first time, but if you are a first-time listener, we're grateful for that. I understand that our audience is expanding one at a time, Stan. One at a time. People listening. Today we are going to talk uh, as, as leaders in the church who are rightly concerned about the way... Uh, Baptists, and you would think it would be otherwise, but how the way that Baptists tend to um, not make as much of baptism as uh, one would think. And Stan, you've written a book on this. I know you've done a lot of thinking, and you are a, um, a leader in a Baptist church, and so you know somewhat of our traditions, and they're not all the same in Baptist churches, but I think it's fair to say that there is a fairly typical way that Baptists in our movement look at baptism. And so we want to push back against that a little bit today. Yes, indeed. Uh, It is one of the ironies, I think, of Christian history that Baptists, in spite of their name, actually often spend more time talking about what doesn't happen in baptism than what what we might presume is happening in baptism. Um, Okay, well, let's get right down to it. Okay. What is happening in the moment of baptism? Well, I, I would say we, we understand that from the human side, the individual is saying, I, I hereby confess my repentance and faith and my intention to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet, the, the, but the biblical texts that talk about baptism also connect it to experiencing the reality of a saving union with Christ. I, my suggestion that we talk about this today was prompted by the fact that last Sunday I was preaching for First Peter 3, which is a really fascinating text in a variety of ways. But in the midst of it, you have Peter referring back to Noah's flood and saying now all that in many ways anticipates baptism, which now saves you. Well, I think you and I both know the average Baptist preacher reads that and gulps and, and, and says, well, no, wait a minute here. I've got to explain it doesn't really mean that. Now, Peter goes on to explain that it isn't the washing away of the dirt of the body. It's not the physical act of baptism that has power. But he says it's the, the inner reality. Now, it, some translations are net, render it the pledge of a good conscience toward God. I think the better translation is probably an appeal for a good conscience. Are we talking about God. spirit baptism, of which water baptism is the symbol? Is that the way to go? No, I think not. I mean, if Peter, if Peter is saying the flood of Noah is, is the type of this baptism, we aren't talking about spirit baptism. We're talking about real water baptism. But what always amazes me is that Baptists seem so, so much more confident about what does not happen in the sprinkling of an infant than they do about what God might be doing in, in the baptism of a, in the immersion of a confessing believer. Okay, so what is God doing at water baptism that he hasn't already done? I would argue he's confirming in us at an experiential level the reality of the things that baptism points to. So, for example, um, on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 
Peter preaches, <clears throat> declares, you, uh, you had Jesus, the Messiah, put to death by the hands of wicked men. God raised him from the dead, vindicated him, exalted him in heaven. And, and he's waiting for the day when all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. The unbelieving Jews listening say, whoa, we're in trouble. That's free translation, of course. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? Peter doesn't say to them, bow your head and pray. What he says is, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it appears then that Peter is saying, the way you say, I repent and believe, is by being baptized. And, and it links it to our experience of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. Again, to, to go back to Peter's words, not in the sense that baptism as a physical act has power mm -hmm. in itself, but we all recognize that the, well, the attitude of faith is the, that, that's the non-negotiable minimum for going to be saved. We're embodied creatures, and we all recognize that attitude of faith has to be expressed in some way for baptism or for salvation to be an experiential reality. So I take it from that that God is confirming in us the reality of the things that baptism points to by this physical act. Okay, isn't prayer calling out on the name of Jesus a physical act too? And I, you're not arguing that, that you need to be baptized in order to be saved. I don't, I don't hear you say that, but there's a huge problem if someone resists it and maybe their salvation is suspect if they don't obey a very simple command to embody your confession. I'm certainly not saying that there can, that there can be no salvation apart from right. baptism. I mean, the grace of God is not bound to baptism as a particular expression of our faith. And yet you referred to the whole idea of calling upon the Lord uh, in prayer. Think about uh -oh. the way Paul describes his own conversion in Acts twenty two sixteen. Yeah, or in, or in Acts 10 in Cornelius' household. Yes. But, I mean, as Paul looks back, he says, well, all right, what Ananias said to me was, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. In other words, the calling on the name of the Lord occurs, as Paul describes it in, in his baptism. Baptism then becomes a kind of acted prayer, the way in which the repentant sinner outwardly, formally says yes to the gospel. Wow. And yet, in our circles, we have so disconnected yeah. baptism from conversion that it, that that it it ceases to have that mm -hmm. that function that we see described in the New Testament. Do you remember the days we used to sing "I have decided to follow Jesus" when someone is baptized? Sure. Uh, there's a lot of meaning in that. It's it's here I am. I've made a decision, and the the implication is that it's a fairly recent decision. This is what I've decided to do, and I'm being baptized because I'm associating that with my decision. Right. And that has solid roots, I argue, in, in the Great Commission of Matthew 28. So when Jesus gives the command, make disciples of all nations, you go and do that. And then, and then there are two participles in the Greek text, baptizing and teaching. 
present participles, which which describe something happening mm-hmm. in connection with at the time of the main verb. In other words, it's not make disciples, and then once they're thoroughly confirmed as disciples, then they can be baptized. It is you make disciples by, by baptizing yeah. them into connection with the tr- name of the triune God. And then, so there's a sense in which then in the Great Commission, we become disciples of Jesus via baptism. Amen. And then we go on learning. We're taught what what it means to live as a disciple of Christ. So we become a disciple by baptism and grow as a disciple via that teaching. And yet, very often Baptists treat it as if we somehow have to have to make a person demonstrate over time yeah. that they really are a disciple before we will I say, know. well, now you can be baptized. Well, where you come from in the States, you are probably aware of some of the Bible Baptists, fundamental Baptists who have water in the tank all the time. And uh, in, in those days, uh, they would give an altar call. People would come forward. They would get saved and baptized in the same half hour. Are you, you, oh, you, yeah. And that, that seemed very odd uh, to my mind when I first heard of that. Um, how do you, you don't even know who this guy is. He just come, he's first, he's visiting the church. Can it actually happen that quickly? But in retrospect, it seems to me that they might have been on to something uh, with, with that uh, immediate call to be baptized. Well, it certainly looks like the picture of the New Testament. So what, what, what I see there leads me to say, the only thing we need to know is that it, it appears that this person is credibly saying Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died to atone for, for my sins, was raised from Why the dead. Why do you say credibly? Well, if, if we have reason to believe that a person is doing it under coercion or just doing it because his buddy did it and he wants to follow through, well, then I think we, would, we might rightly say, no, wait, wait a minute here. You know, would, I, we, would we look for that? Well, I think we'd be open to it. But I, I would say the biblical picture is the, the burden of proof is, is not on the pastor or the church to say, okay, I need to be convinced by this person. The, the burden of proof would be on the one who wants to say no to the baptism. Mm-hmm. I mean, think, for example, about the picture in Acts 8 at Samaria. Philip goes, preaches the gospel, people believe and are baptized. Among them, Simon the sorcerer, mm-hmm. who shortly thereafter um, indicates that his own heart was anything but pure, his intentions anything but right, when we see that he wanted to buy the power to convey the Holy right. Spirit from, from the apostles. But well, there's no indication that somehow Philip did a bad thing by baptizing him. Because the text says Simon believed and yeah. was baptized. So believed, obviously, there is describing phenomenologically, experientially, this is what he professed. But, but my, in my experience, too often in Baptist churches, we, we treat baptism as if a kind of a reward for a probation period. Or a way and, to join the church. Right. It's a way to join the church, but we disconnect it from conversion. And, and all I'm arguing is, 
if, if we're serious about the way the Bible actually describes baptism, we need to recognize it's not seen in the New Testament as a kind of good work. Mm-hmm. Or a graduation. It's, it's, it's an expression of repentance and faith. It's, it's regarded as the way in which the sinner says yes to the gospel in a formal manner. And so we, we have to find a way to somehow mm-hmm. reintegrate it into the, the experience of conversion. It's always seemed odd to me that we'll agree that upon profession of your faith, you're, God's okay with you being in the church family. You're a member of the body of Christ. But our standards are a little bit higher than God's. Um, we won't baptize you into our church family until we've scrutinized you, and that's going to take a little bit of time, and then you will be part of a local church. I've, I've, no one articulated it that way, but it seemed to me that that's the double standard that we've been living with. It's the way it often often plays out in practice. And I suppose that's why I, I think in, in the New Testament, it's pretty obvious to me, there's simply no distinction between the believers and the baptized ones. Those who believe are baptized. And that's why in, in Ephesians 4, when Paul is talking about the commonalities that we all share when we're in the body of Christ, he can say one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We've, we've all confessed our faith in the same Lord via baptism. Now, that was in the middle of the first century. Given all the, the confusion that's occurred over the centuries, I can understand a, a distinction between, let's say, conversion and church membership. You got a lot of different kinds mm-hmm. of churches. Mm-hmm. But we can make baptism a part of conversion, even if it's, that's a later point that we help people understand the nature of our particular church and what being a member of our particular church might entail. So what are you going to do if someone says, Stan's a believe, Stan believes in baptismal regeneration? I just heard it on a podcast. How, how are we going to deal with that male? Well, I, I think we say to that, Stan has clearly said, there's nothing mechanical about baptism. It's not like if you get baptized, you obviously get regenerated. But I am arguing that, that the biblical picture sees it as so to- closely tied to conversion that in some way our, our experience, our assurance of being reborn has a connection to baptism. Not a mechanical one, but an important one. Well, that's what we're talking about and thinking about, and we want to thank you for listening to us and sending us an email. Maybe we can revisit this again sometime soon. Until then, I'm Bob McGregor. I'm Stan Fowler. Thanks for listening. Keep on thinking.